my notes, so that's okay. Let's get into the Word. This is the final look at the Gospel of John. We have been on a journey for many, many months, and I've really enjoyed it. And I've left myself about 23 minutes to wrap it up. So do you reckon we can do that? No one has faith. It's not Anita preaching. This is me, PJ. We'll be, we'll be done. Don't you worry. All right. Let's get into it. Talking about Jesus. And in John chapter 21, Jesus the commissioner, he is sending us. He's saying, go. Make this happen. Spread the good news. Tell people about me. And so we left off last week, if you were here last week, with a really brilliant video about scars. And, and all scars tell a story. That's what we said. Our stories from our scars are stories of pain and brokenness. But God's um, scars, the piercing in the feet and hands of Jesus, are stories of forgiveness and healing. Isn't that awesome? And for all eternity, his scars will continue to tell this story of God's unending love. So our role and our job is to point people to him, that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. That's our job, to spread the good news. You know, Peter had scars, didn't he? Peter in the Bible, Simon Peter. He denied Christ, didn't he? He has scars of betrayal. He was the one declaring how big his love for the Lord was, yet when put under the pump and under pressure, three times, not once, but thrice, three times, he denied Christ. So Peter had scars. Truth is, we all have scars. Some are on the outside, many are on the inside. You know, I can look across this room now, everyone looks great. But you know what, every single one of you has something that's happened in your life at some point that's made a mark. And we can't remove the mark, but Christ can come. And he can cover a multitude of sin. He can cover a multitude of mistakes, of wrong choices, of bad stuff that's happened to you. He can come and wrap his arms of love around you. You can rest under the shadow of the Almighty like eagle's wings because Jesus is there for you. And so we may carry scars, but Christ makes all the difference in our life when it comes to addressing the scars in our lives. So we're going to continue on from where we left off and we're going to start reading verses 15 to 17 of John chapter 21. So it says this, When they had eaten breakfast, that beautiful fish smorgasbord on the beach, Sounds nice. Had us all hungry last week, didn't we? Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then in verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He's like, why are you asking me three times? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, after breakfast, Jesus revisited the topic of Peter's love for him. Peter had denied Jesus publicly three times. And now Jesus restored him to service publicly. So this conversation is happening, but the others are there. They're all in earshot. So he's doing this publicly to Peter. 
Now, before Jesus was crucified, Peter had boasted of his love for the Lord. He was a big boaster, a big, bit of a big mouth, I think. But he loved boasting. Oh, I love you so much, Jesus. You're incredible. You're the best. You know, I'll lay down my life for your sake. He said that in John chapter 13, verse 37. And although he meant these words at the time, I'm not doubting that he meant those words. I don't think he fully understand or understood what he was saying at the time. Because it was a big statement that I would lay down my life for you. And he didn't live under the pressure of Jesus' arrest very well. He didn't handle that pressure. As soon as pressure came, he crumbled. It shows and speaks to our frailty without Jesus. Because we can be bold. I mean, I can stand in church here and, yeah. But then if I've got a thousand Christian haters marching towards me, am I going to be preaching like I'm preaching now? Or am I going to be, ah, getting out of here, trying to find the, the, the closest exit? We're very different people when we're under pressure. We all are. Because it's tough when people are attacking you. When people are, and the world's getting like that, isn't it? Christians are copying more, I think, attack on our beliefs and our faith system. You don't hear people ridiculing other religions. And other it's, just, it's a Christian thing and it's a gender against us and they want to take us out and they don't like us. We're bigots, all of these things. So we're under the pump right now. So the challenge is, can we stand strong? Well, in Christ we can. Not in our own strength, but in Christ we can. When Jesus had first called Peter to follow him, he addressed him as Simon, the son of Jonah. And then coming full circle, he's now using the same name. Simon, son of Jonah. Peter had denied Jesus three times. Three times when he was under the pump. And it was no coincidence that Jesus asked Peter three times if he loved him. And then commissioned him three times. Go love my sheep. Go tend my sheep. Go. He did it three times. Jesus asked Peter if he loved him more than the other disciples did. And before Jesus was arrested, Peter had said he did. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Matthew 26, verse 33. That's what he's saying before Jesus was crucified. He had not been shy then about declaring his love for Jesus. Because it's easy. There's no pressure. It's just him and Jesus and the crew. And it was easy. But in a straightforward manner, with no comparisons with the other disciples, he readily affirmed his love for Jesus. But by the third time, he was hurt. And I wonder, it doesn't say this in the Bible, we're left to speculate again, but I wonder if he was hurt the third time because maybe the penny dropped and he realised, hey, I denied Christ three times. It says he was grieved. Was it because Jesus asked him three times or was it because he remembered I denied Christ three times. Oh, man. And you know how you know how you have those moments and the penny drops for you and you're like, oh, that's what this is about. I wonder if it was one of those moments. Peter's ministry, no doubt, as we read it through the Bible beyond this point, is about feeding and shepherding God's children like Jesus had. His fishing career was over. Jesus has now forgiven him of his uh, scars of betrayal. And he's now called him to move on and share the good news and build my church. And you go because I want to see great things through you. And so he moves on from that feeling of guilt and shame to building the church. 
It, it speaks to me that we're all capable. I don't know what your life's been like, what shame you've carried, what guilt. I mean, we dealt with a lot of it last week, and I hope you've been made free this past seven days. And, and it just shows that even though we've made mistakes and we fail and we muck up and we make a bad choice, God can still use us to build his church. Amen? Absolutely. That was a good amen. That was a good amen. God wants to use you. Despite what you've done, despite what you think of yourself, most of us think pretty lowly of ourselves in that we, we're probably our worst critic. We're hard on ourselves. And that's good that it's not anymore. But it comes in waves. The doubt, the, oh, I'm not worthy. Oh, I'm not good enough. God wouldn't use me to do anything. Well, all of that's lies from the enemy. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy and, and rob you of what God has for you. Don't be held up by past errors and mistakes because God can just come in an instant and make you free from that condemnation and use you to build his church. That means not building buildings and then that's that's other thing. Building his church is adding people to the kingdom. He can use your story to encourage people. And I pray that he does that through each and every one of us in Jesus' name. And he will. Suppose you've been in Peter's sandals. I'd say shoes, but sandals. Suppose you've been in Peter's sandals. You're on that beach that morning. Jesus is resurrected. He's there. You're sitting around the fire. You're talking with Jesus when he asks you, do you love me? How would we answer it? It's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that out loud. How would we answer it? Wouldn't it be confronting? You know you've denied Christ three times. And Jesus for the first time asks you, do you love me? And then you're like, oh man, you see everything, you know everything, you know I did that. It's a good thing to ponder and think about. See, Jesus reached into Peter's heart, put his finger on Peter's motivation for service. That's what he was doing here. Putting his finger on, what is your motivation to serve me? See, Peter's motivation to live with Jesus was so important to Christ in that moment. He wanted to know, what is motivating you to carry on? Because if it was an attempt to stave off guilt, or an attempt to earn forgiveness, or an attempt to avoid criticism, or an attempt to measure up to the expectation or to the opinions of others, if it was an attempt to prove something to someone, or an attempt to gain approval or recognition, or an attempt to accumulate more good works than bad works, well, those motivations are all not good. That's not what Christ wanted Peter carrying on the ministry under that motivation. He wanted the motivation to be Peter's love for Christ, which is why he asked three times, not once, not twice, three times, do you love me? Forget about all the other stuff. Peter's sole motivation in service was to be his love for Jesus, pure and simple. And so I don't know what your motivation in this place is, but please don't let it be, oh, I need to try and impress somebody, or I need to try and tick all the boxes so that I'm accepted, or I need to come and act the right way so that people embrace me in the church, or I need to say the right words, or I need to dress the right way. All of those things do not matter. Forget about it. Forget about it. 
what matters is do you love Jesus? And that's why in this church you'll, you'll rarely hear a message, I hope never, that doesn't include his name. We're here to preach Jesus. Because all that matters is do you love Jesus? If you answer yes, all the other stuff is peripheral. And it just doesn't matter. It falls away in importance. It's not important. Do you love Jesus? That's important. If he did love Jesus, this is Peter, even just a little bit, his mission was to do something about it. Go and tell the world then. If you love me, tell other people. If you love me, you'll have a heart to share this good news with others. He was to get involved in the lives of others. Let's not be insular people that live our life and, and, and do what we do and get busy with family and just our little circle. But let's be people who intentionally get into the world of other people and tell them the good news about Jesus. Is that not what we are called to do as Christians? Amen. You're going to hear us talk about a lot in the, in the new year, but discipleship isn't programs. It's not running an eight-week course or having an alpha group. or I mean, all those things are great to help inform. You know what it's about? It's about one-on-one -on -one intentionally leading someone on a pathway to get to know Jesus. And we can all do that. Okay? We can't all be... You know, these big crusades with thousands of people coming and get people saved, although some are called to that. But we can all reach one. Imagine if this church grabbed a hold of that concept of discipleship. Who's my one? Who's my one single person that I'm leading on a journey? And you watch what God does in this body right here. If we could all just think of who's our one. Who am I leading on the pathway to get to know Jesus? They don't have to be a Christian yet. Could be a work workmate, could be someone out in the community that doesn't know Jesus. And you're just sowing seeds. You're just doing coffee. You're just helping them out. You're interested in their life. You're connecting every week. How are you going? What's happening? It's, it's all just simple little things. It doesn't have to be full on intense, give up all your time for this one person, although maybe that's what's needed and God will speak to you about that. But it can be as simple as just connecting once a week with one person leading them on a journey to eventually see them say yes to Jesus. So once they make it, you get them to lead someone. Who's their one? God's done something in their life through you. Well, what are they going to do now? I know it sounds like multi-level marketing, but it's not. Okay? We've all heard about those things before. It's called spreading the gospel. It's called sharing the good news. So serious question for yourself. Who's my one? If you can't answer that question, please pray. And ask that God would lead you to one. To lead and guide and mentor and encourage. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's keep going. Because I'm going very slow. <laughs> Verse 18 to 19. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signing, uh, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Again, it's like there's been a full circle here. Remember when Jesus first met the disciples and then ended with follow me. 
And now we've just gone around this big merry-go-round of everything that's happened. And here we are at the end, and Jesus is resurrected, conquered sin and death. Peter's denied him three times, but then he's confessed his love for him three times. And Jesus tells him how he's going to die. Mm, that will make you nervous. But he says, nevertheless, follow me. Wow, what a challenge. Peter has just gotten his life straightened out. They've had the conversation, the difficult one. And then Jesus touches on this topic of his death. And he indicated how serious and important it was by beginning with this statement. And you know it's important. And they say, most assuredly I say to you. In other words, I'm so confident and serious that this is true that you need to listen to me right now. Here is the truth. And here it comes. So if anything ever says in the Bible, most assuredly I say to you, you pay attention to that bit. Because it's important. And in this amazing sort of picture of a way, like this picturesque way, he's contrasting the end of Peter's ministry with the beginning. Because he uses that link, follow me. He tells him, you're going to stretch out your hands. In other words, you're going to die on a cross like I did. You're going to be fastened to a horizontal beam. And Peter, when this was written, if you get your timelines out and look at the timing, Peter has actually already died when John writes this book of the gospel. And according to Jerome, one of the early church fathers, Peter was actually crucified upside down because he said that he was unworthy to die in the same manner that Christ died. So Jesus is ending this commission of Peter with the same words, follow me. Probably the biggest challenge to Peter in all his life. He's just been told how he's going to die. And he's been encouraged, but still follow we know what happens from there. It continues on. You know, a lot had happened to Peter between those two commands, the first, follow me, and the last, follow me. And some of these things are recorded by John in this book, but Peter still had the rest of his life to obey it from that point onwards. And you can read about the book of Acts and the things that continue on after Christ is resurrected into heaven. And he leaves this earth. Here's something to ponder. Jesus still commands believers to follow him. That was his last command to Peter, follow me. He still says that to us today as well. He's not here in person to say it to you, but that's his encouragement to us. Jesus still commands believers to follow him, and there's, there's no conditions attached to this command. You don't see Jesus say to Peter, follow me, and give him a list of 50,000 things he has to do in order to follow Jesus. He just says, follow me. Could it be any simpler? There's no conditions. He didn't say, follow me if it's convenient for you. He didn't say, follow me if you feel like it. He didn't say, follow me if you don't get a better offer. <laughs> he didn't say, follow me if you don't have anything else to do. He simply says, follow me. Because following Christ is a way of life for the rest of your life. It's not based on any conditions. There's no get out of jail cards. <laughs> when you follow Jesus, you follow him. The end. In every season of life, the good, the bad, the awesome, the ugly, you stick with him. Let's keep going. Verse 20 and 21 says, Then Peter turned around, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, 
who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about him? So Jesus has now told Simon Peter about how he's going to end up. He's like, well, what about him? <laughs> I love this because Peter, Peter's heard someone walking behind him and he's like, I think he's probably shocked from what Christ just confronted him with, that this is what's going to happen. Now follow me. And he hears the noise in the background, walking behind him, turns around to see that it's John, and, and John's the one writing this gospel. And John identifies uh, himself by where he leaned on his breast and, and what he asked at the Passover dinner, rather than by his name. That's just how he writes it. And now that his job and destiny were settled, like, so Jesus is finalised with Peter, this is what's happening. The first thing he does is, well, what's going to happen to this bloke? Because I think it's like, attention shift, <laughs> get it off me, what's going on with this guy? And, and I love how Jesus responds in, in verse 22 and 23. This is so good. Because we often do that, don't we? When we're under the pump and everything's on us, and, and well, but what about that person? Look what they're doing. Or, or do you try and, it's, I don't know, it's a psychological thing, I think, to just attention divert and, and get it off me and focus on someone else. Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So he brings him back. Okay, so come back. Don't worry about what's going on over there. Come back over here. What did I just say to you? We do this to our kids, right? What did mummy just say? What did daddy just say? We just told you. Jesus is like, follow me. Then this saying went out amongst the brethren. Okay, this is how gossip works in the church, right? That this disciple would not die. Everyone's like, oh, did you hear what Jesus is saying? He's not going to die. He's going to be here until Jesus comes back. So he won't experience death. And then the whispers, the Chinese whispers, and then the church is divided and it's all happening. That's how gossip destroys a body of believers. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. Let's read it again. <laughs> but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? In other words, yes! It's none of your business. Can you just mind your own business for a moment? It's got nothing to do with you what's going to happen to him. I've just told you this is what's happening to you and I've told you to follow me. Forget about that. Don't get distracted. And I just think Jesus is saying this today. Don't worry about the person next to you. Don't worry about what's happening in their life. Oh, but they get all the blessing and everything's going good for them and oh, I'm struggling and I, I just need this. I've been praying for since the days of Noah for this breakthrough and it's not coming and that person got their miracle in five seconds and why? It's not fair. And Jesus is saying, uh-uh, come back over here and just follow me. Stop worrying about old mate. <laughs> it's nothing to do with you. Jesus is telling Peter, in a very nice way, mind your own business. And the encouragement is, is that he needed to stay focused on Jesus. And then, of course, Jesus' statement starts to get questioned, and oh, so John's going to live forever, and it gets misinterpreted, and all of that. And I think that is why John wrote this last chapter, because remember how we ended the, the previous chapter, that it really could have ended there. There was the mission statement and everything, but I think John felt compelled to add, to bring clarity, that that's not what Jesus meant, that I'm going to live forever. Come back to the central focus, and that is Christ. Stop being distracted by what's happening to old mates on your left and right, 
what's going on in their life has nothing to do with you and no impact on how God wants to lead and guide you. He simply says, what are his instructions? Two words. Follow me. Wow. I just love that it ends with this. Let's, uh, this is the last, this is the end. This is verse 24 and 25 of John chapter 21. This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And these are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Wow. You know, Greek, Roman and Jewish legal documents ended with a testimony by the witness. And that's why this is written this way. John concludes the gospel and he adds his endorsement that he, what he wrote was true since he had been an eyewitness to the events. So you can't deny the truth of what is recorded. We know that the testimony is true. But what John recorded in this one book was only a fraction of what Jesus did and said in three years. He already written that he chose selected miracles to include in this gospel to glorify um, the Lord. And by the time John penned this book, there were three other gospels in existence. So Matthew, Mark and Luke were written already. And then John finished with writing his. And we can all read the words that Jesus spoke and recorded in the Gospel of John in about, if you read them, you know how you got the Bibles with the red? That's Jesus talking. If you read all the words in red, it'd probably take you about three hours, roughly, unless you're a speed reader or whatever, but in general, about three hours. And uh, that tells you that there must have been so much more of what Christ had done. That just wasn't recorded in these books. It's impossible to record. You think about your life. Imagine writing down every single thing you've ever done to this point. It's going to be thicker than your big print Bibles, I'm telling you. So the fact that you can read Jesus' words in about three hours tells me, without a doubt, that there was so much more that he did. But reading this, I love how it finishes. Don't worry about what's happening in someone else's life. That's not important. Bring it back to follow me. Wow. Let's wrap up this chapter. Is this the end or just a new beginning? I think you know the answer to that question. Wrapping up the chapter. So at the start of this chapter of John, seven disciples met together. Peter decided to go fishing because he was bored. Let's go fishing, mate. They didn't have the World Cup on. Maybe he would have watched the football if it was... No. <laughs> they went fishing. They went with him and they didn't catch anything. When the disciples followed Jesus' instructions, they, were, they caught a net full of fish. So at his word, breakthrough came, provision came. They couldn't do it in their own strength. They fished all night, laboured, nothing. Jesus comes at his word. <sighs> Lots of fish fingers. Jesus invited his disciples to join him for breakfast on the beach. Who'd love to do that? Come on, smorgasbord on the beach, bit of fish, yum. Jesus invited his disciples to join him for breakfast on the beach, and then Jesus restored Peter to, to service. They had the difficult conversation after he denied him three times, assigned him the ministry of caring for believers, and when Peter wanted to know what would happen to John, Jesus told him, none of your business. <laughs> then Jesus predicted Peter's death as well there. And then John concluded this book with a statement 
about its truthfulness since he was an eyewitness of the events. So there's no denying that the account that was recorded is what happened. Because he was there. It's not second-hand information. He said, she said. You know, Papa, Jesus said that John would be here for you. No, you missed the important part. I could will that if I wanted to. Not that's what's going to happen. Big difference. Let's finish with a video. Have a look at the screen. speaking to us about what are our eyes fixed on? Are we that worried about what's happening to the left and to the right in that person's life? And I just love how this gospel ends because it's a direct address to the person that looks at the other person. What about them? What's happening in their life? Why is that? Why do they get all the blessing? When really what it's all about is encountering the presence of God for you. And it's going to look different to you than it does to the person sitting next to you right now. Because our God is a personal God. And He comes and meets you in a way that is meaningful for you. That's what I love about God. He's not limited to just coming in one way, like the music's flowing and we're all in His presence and let's all fall down in the Holy Spirit. We've had seasons like that and it's wonderful, but that's not for everyone. And is that a bad thing? No. God is a personal God and He wants to touch your heart. And how He does that is between you and Him. The only thing we have responsibility for is for us to be open and ready to receive His presence. And however that looks for you. So I want you to stand this morning as we come to a close. I've gone a little bit over, but who's looking at the clock? Nobody. That one's wrong anyway. (laughs) 
I just think there are people in this place that just need to just refocus today and not be worried about what's going on in your friend's life, other families, other people. Don't get distracted by what's happening to the left and to the right. But you need to encounter God's presence for you in this moment, right now, whatever that looks like for you. And so I want eyes closed in this place. That's going to help us get focused. Don't worry about what's going on. And just think about your God and how much He loves you. The Bible tells us, for God so loved the world. It's in the video as well. He gave His one and only Son that whosoever would believe in Him. You know what whosoever means? Everybody. Not the person that dresses the right way. The person that looks the look talks the talk, smiles, seems to have it all together, has all the confidence. No, 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 no. That whosoever would believe in me would not perish, but have everlasting life. It's available to everyone, which means it doesn't matter what's happening to the left and to the right. You know what matters? What's happening in you and in your heart. So the first thing I want to do, and we do this in every meeting at Vineyard, is I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've done it before, but you've been away from him and you've got wrapped up in, oh, but this is happening for that person and whatever. And you've forgotten what really matters, and that is your relationship with Jesus. That is what matters right now in this moment. Nothing else matters. If you need to say yes to Jesus today, I want to invite you to just lift up your hand where you are. Say, Pastor Jeremy, that's me. Please pray for me. There's hands going up. I need to reconnect with my Lord because he's all that matters and I've been reminded of that today. So pray for me. Many hands. Probably a dozen. It's awesome. If you're online, please don't tune out. Lift up your hand in God's presence. I can't see it, but God can. What matters in this moment is our response. So we're going to pray together, just as Romans 10 verse 9 says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. You're going to reconnect with Jesus today. And here's how simple it is. Confessing he is Lord and belief in your heart that he conquered sin and death. If you can tick those two boxes today, you are saved. That's how simple it is. Confession, belief. So we're going to pray this as a church together and then I want to pray for some other people before we close. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you died on a cross for me. You conquered sin and death for me so that I could be in relationship with you. And so God, I'm sorry for all the things I've done, for walking away from you. And I choose now to make you my Lord again, to live my life for you, to believe that you conquered sin and death, to believe that you were risen from the dead and that you made a way for me to be free. And so, Jesus, I thank you. I live my life for you and I honour you today in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Can we thank God for the dozen or so people that have reconnected with Jesus today? It's powerful. It's
so good. You will remember this day because it's the day that you finally surrendered and said, God, choose me. I choose you. Choose me. And I want to live for you. Amen. And then now, if you're in this place and you're the kind of person that this message spoke to about the, about the being focused on follow me, not worried about anything else. Oh, look what that person's wearing. Oh, look what they're doing. Oh, gee, look how they're acting. If you're that kind of person, I want to encourage you in this moment to forget about all that. And I want you to just focus on your heart for a moment. Close your eyes again, folks. Close your eyes again. I just want to give a moment for people to just encounter God's presence. Because that's what really matters. Not what that person's saying or what that looks like or what's going on over there. Sometimes we get busy wrapped up in working and we're like Martha's and we're just busy pottering around and but we're forgetting to stop and what matters is worshipping Jesus and having our eyes fixed on him and pouring the perfume on his feet as expensive as it is we just pause and nothing else matters because Jesus you're the one that matters so I just want to believe for people to be touched by his presence as we close this morning and just remember what matters stuff doesn't matter all that matters is your heart connecting with Jesus in this moment so if you want to connect with him and I pray that's all of us let's just lift up our hands let's just open up our hearts let's just receive something from the Holy Spirit as we come to a close this morning something that just reminds you of what matters only God matters
moment, every single person under the sound of my voice, we choose to focus on what really matters. And God, all that really matters is our relationship with you. So God, forgive us for the times that we've strayed, that we've had our focus taken from something that we think is more important, but nothing else matters but our relationship with you. Forgive us for straying. Forgive us for not having that focus and that clarity. You simply ask one thing of us, and that is to follow you. And so, God, in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray you touch lives, that you remind us of what matters, that nothing else matters but the presence of the Lord. And so help us to stay close to you. Help us to encounter you daily. Help us to not waver from the truth, and that is that you are good, You're so good to us. You saved our soul. And for that, we are forever grateful. So, Lord, our focus is on you. Help us when we are weak to bring that focus back to you. When we try to divert the attention, bring us back to you, I pray. In Jesus' name. But everyone said, Amen. Amen. Can we give God praise and thank you for his goodness in our lives?